Coming to you from Boise, Idaho, the fastest growing city in the U.S. and recognized as one of the most creative and vibrant cities to live in. This is a special edition of Enhancing the Human Experience, a World of Creativity, a series of unique interviews with successful people from around the globe, how they get inspired, where their ideas come from, and how they apply creativity in their business and personal lives. Now, here's your host, Mark Phillips, along with special guest interviewer, Mark Stinson. Welcome to another episode of A World of Creativity, this special series inside Enhancing the Human Experience. I'm Mark Phillips. Mark, welcome. I'm Mark Stenson, and we, we have a terrific uh, interview today. And thinking about this idea of a world of creativity, I think there's a, a nice double meaning to that. You know, certainly the world, there's global thinking, global exchange of ideas and such, but it's also the breadth of creativity um, in terms of, you know, how many things do you, can you get involved in? How many things do you work on? How many uh, experiences do we have to apply our creative thinking? And uh, our guest today on the episode just epitomizes that. And we want to welcome Kevin Fox. Kevin, welcome to the interview. Well, hello, Mark and Mark. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, <laughs> it does make it simple to know who to, to call out <laughs> yeah. when, when we're both named Mark. But uh, Ke Kevin is running an enterprise now uh, called Foxworks, and uh, it's a real creative boutique kind of approach. I'm sure he'll tell us more about it as we go. Uh, but what I like about what Kevin's doing is really putting that sweat equity. You know, I, I met Kevin when we were both working uh, with a global communications agency. Uh, agency concern. So, you know, having that international breadth, uh, but being able now to sort of break away from the mothership, if mm. I could say that, uh, to say, let, let's do it a little bit differently. Let's think about it independently. Um, so that's what I like about what, what Kevin's doing. And we've shared some of those experiences uh, in our career as well. But uh, Ke Kevin, as we get going, uh, I, I would be interested to know, you know, when we say a world of creativity, what what sort of international product you've lived in Toronto, you, you live in Columbus now, what other uh, places and projects have you worked on that, you know, allow you to tap into that international sense of creativity? Uh, well, that's a great question. I think, you know, it's been interesting to see when I first moved to Canada, you know, I'll be honest, I, I fell into this belief that how different can it really be? Right. It's it's just a little bit up north. Uh, it's America's hat, as we like used to like to mm -hmm. say. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but, you know, I was blown away, actually, culturally, how different uh, Toronto was from from the States, uh, not to mention then how different Montreal was from Toronto. Uh, in my my time uh, in Canada, I was overseeing the creative departments for both a Toronto office and a Montreal office. And the differences, the stark differences between culture in those spaces uh, was, it was really impressive and really interesting. And they had very, very different problems to solve. Uh, and, you know, at my, when I look at uh, creativity and I would look at what we do, that's, that's w the way I frame what we do. We solve business problems through creativity. And yes, it may, it may end up being a TV spot or a website or an, a marketing campaign online or, you know, podcast, you know, but it, what it begins as is a solution to a business problem. And it was interesting. One, the business problems were very different uh, from the States 
to Toronto, to Montreal. But then how you had to approach solving them was even more different. Just the individual uh, personalities of the offices, the constructs, the, the local cultural norms, just very, very different approaches. And it was interesting because it influenced the work. While we had processes, like you mentioned, Mark, this was a giant global communications company, but you know the the personnel. You know, we all know that in advertising and in creative departments, in particular, your your product is your people, and those people with those disparate personalities influence the work to such a great degree. It didn't matter that we were putting the same processes on the work; it still had a different flavor, and it was important to re- reflect that local flavor uh, in those different offices. So, I think it was really interesting to see those cultural differences and how to one, one maximize them, but get the benefit from them, but also be able to get them to communicate with one another. Because actually, some of those cultural differences they actually they're at odds with one another. And uh, you know, when you're working, you know, trying to create one singular uh, communications firm, uh, you need to have some, some common ground for us all to speak to. So again, culture and, and the, the local, uh, you know, perspectives were, it was, it was a really interesting challenge, uh, beyond going in and breaking an agency down and putting in new processes and new creative expectations, you know, that I knew I was getting into, but dealing with the individual cultural, uh, differences was, that was, that was a surprise and probably one of the more, more exciting portions of that. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say this because clearly now, uh, you know, we we realize the importance more than ever of diversity, and and in this case, we don't just mean diversity of you know race, creed, citizenship, and so forth, but also diversity of you know experience, diversity of point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you find when you're saying that kind of disparate, you know, but having different people look at a problem, a business problem in so many different ways, um, what what were the pluses and minuses of that? Well, it's interesting. I think there's nothing but positive that comes out of it as long as you put the right guardrails in front of it ahead of time. And that was my biggest learning is uh, to put the, you know, I want to give guardrails, not handcuffs when I'm working with a creative team and we're solving a creative problem. You know, that's, I wanna, an, interesting, I wanna, that's an interesting difference. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you want them to be free, but, you know, understand that we are solving a problem and there is a box, you know, we can color outside the lines. Fantastic. But know that there is a box for this problem to be solved with it. And as long as you put those guardrails in there properly, and that starts with obviously a solid creative brief that people can execute off of, but also your, your creative expectations and process and making sure you're staying on top of it from a creative director perspective. And as long as you have that, these disparate point of views are nothing but positive fuel. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing that will kill creative energy faster than having a whole group of people in a room agreeing with each other. Mm. Uh, there's, there, there is nothing, there's nothing good that comes from that. You know, that I, I would much rather have uh, vehement disagreements. Uh, let's be polite, right? Let's respect one another, but let's have very vehemently disagree on points of view. And you know what, Mark, in our time together, we had some pretty vehement disagreements. Still. Well, I was having some flashback moments on Throwback <laughs> Thursday here. But yeah. uh, no, but I think you're saying the right thing is that, you know, uh, respect uh, being what it is and saying, you know, hey, you're coming from a different point of view. But you're right. What If we all thought the same thing, first of all, the meeting would last five minutes. But uh, what would we possibly accomplish? Right. Yeah, I, I think that there are there are some folks who they like to structure their their departments and their agencies. And they want to they want to structure them with uh, sycophantic head bobbers. 
And <laughs> those those aren't the type of agencies that I want to be a part of. Let's all get along is one thing. Well, or I'll tell right. you what you're going to think and you just re- reflect it back to me, right? Well, that's a good exactly. point. And, and, and I think, uh, Kevin, have you had the situation where whether it be a client or whether it be, you know, a creative director uh, kind of above your, your level, say – you know, yes, I'm open to your ideas, and here's what I'm open to. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, how do you it, deal with that? Well, I know that, you know, I, I feel that I may deal with it a little bit more as a as a lead creative director than some other folks have in, in my past. I've had some wonderful uh, creative directors and mentors in my career, and I felt like the ones I learned the most from uh, would one, you know, allow me to push back and think freely and and bring my point of view to things, but also say, okay, that's great. But, you know, here's what we're going to do with that point of view. We're going to carve off these edges and we're going to use this. Right. But never in my experience that I have, you know, I didn't, I didn't have good experiences when, when I wasn't given that freedom to think and freedom to push back and freedom to say, what if, and, and then as you progress through your career, um, I really think that you get to the point where you're you're too senior, you're paid too much money to say okay to everything, right? Your job really is to push back and to say what if and to bring that new perspective. And, you know, I've had it in my career, I've had folks who, you know, reported to me that things were going very, very well. Very talented creatives, uh, who I liked personally, respected professionally, but we had a problem. They would always agree. <laughs> and 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 I, one in particular, a very very close friend of mine, actually, who we worked on projects outside of the agency world together. Uh, and there was a point in time when when he was reporting to me where it just seemed as though all of a sudden now he's agreeing with everything I say. So I, I had actually had to schedule a meeting and call him into my office and ask him to close the door and be very 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 to the point and say, "Hey, man, this isn't working." And he said, he didn't understand why. And I said, look, you're, you're just agreeing with me all the time. And this this is not how it ever worked with us. And that's why I thought one was excited to work with them. And once we got that out and understood that, no, I'm expecting you to push back. You know, I, when I'm solving problems, I'm no different. Just because I have a, t- a higher title, <clears throat> I'm in no different perspective than anyone else solving a problem. Once you start thinking about it, you get your nose is against the paper right? Your nose is against the screen, the page, you're too close to it. So it's no matter where you are, where you're coming from, if you're down in the work trying to solve something, you need someone to keep you in check. And so I like surrounding myself with creatives who are talented, have strong points of view, uh, and aren't afraid to say, yeah, but how about, how about we think about it this way? Yeah, that's very good. Mm -hmm. You know, thinking about the people side of things, uh, you know, it is too cliche maybe to say, you know, it's a people business and all our assets are the people that leave it, you know, at the elevator. I was going to say leave at five o'clock, but uh, what what creative person ever (laughs) leaves at five o'clock? Exactly. Um, But, uh, you know, how how do you assess that people part? Um, Because certainly, you know, creative people and Look, it goes back to uh, the painters of history and the writers of history. You know, it, it's kind of a cantankerous bunch uh, sometimes. But h- how do you balance that wow, creative stuff with sometimes the personalities and the people that, you, that you're dealing with? How, how do you find that balance? Well, I, I think that's a, that's a great question. And I really think that those those personalities, the cantankerous bunch, if you will, um, <laughs> I feel like that's, that is the lifeblood of a creative department. And um, I really believe that that cantankerous bunch is the lifeblood of the creative department. And uh, 
so often, and particularly when we get into these larger global communications concerns, uh, we like to we like to strip a lot of that away, right? We want to make sure that when we we put these these creatives in a room with a client, they're not going to say or do anything crazy, right? But yet, when we take them back to the creative floor and the clients aren't around, we want them to be thinking crazy and providing these amazing solutions. And 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 I think that there's a there's a balance, right? We all have to understand that we're in a business, right? We're in a service industry and we we have clients that we are serving and problems we're solving. And yes, you have to be professional and respectful and understand how to operate in a meeting. However, there's sometimes I feel like in some agencies and some spaces that starts to get, you know, they like to round the edges off those creatives a little bit more than uh, probably is, is beneficial to the end product. You know, they, they might be want them to kind of look and sound and dress a lot alike. And, and I think that that becomes a problem. And quite frankly, you know, the dressing differently, you know, I, I've never been one of those creatives who actually like looks much like a creative as far as the way I dress, uh, <laughs> you know, but in my, in, in my own way, I felt like, well, that's my rebellion, right? I've got all, you know, I went to art school and was surrounded by all these people with, you know, facial piercings and tattoos on their, you know, necks and, you know, wearing whatever, you know, crazy, uh, outfits. And, you know, I, you know, I was pretty, uh, you know, mainstream i would say by by comparison but in a way that was my way of rebelling because i looked at that and i said well you're all kind of starting to look alike <laughs> right so uh-huh. but you know and there it's you important when you look into that you know because clothing isn't my mood of expression but it's many creatives mode of expression and it's important to let them express themselves and feel comfortable and and understand that they because it may be wearing those you know red converse high tops with you know a business suit is their way of remembering at the heart of everything they are a creative and their job is to look at things a little differently and Mm -hmm. you know the moment they lose that or the moment they feel like they don't have permission to challenge something and look at things differently their value as a creative is sunk so however that expression finds itself again as long as it's rooted in respect uh, mutual respect for different departments, different skill sets, um, then I, I appreciate it and I encourage it. And, you know, many of my best creatives in my career have been those who some may have, you know, dubbed, quote, a problem, right? They were maybe a little bit more challenging. They were maybe, uh, quote, management issue, <laughs> right? Were, I, I, had a, I had a lot of those in my yeah, world. Over they were the on a performance plan. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, but you know, it's funny you're you're describing these two business settings uh, in, in this separate way. You know, one is a client meeting. You know, you're in mm-hmm. the conference room. You're at the uh, you know rosewood table, uh, and the other is quote back at the shop. Um, you know, and, and I, I remember watching this National Geographic series on the creative genius. Uh, one was on Einstein and one was on Picasso, and and uh, I was reflecting on those settings. I was like. I'd never bring either one of those guys to a client meeting, you know, and yet (laughs) that's the the amazing creative genius. Right. And uh, I think that's what you're describing, Kevin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. And I think, you know, it's interesting because oftentimes a creative's, you know, long-term career aspirations will hinge on their ability to get in front of clients you know, to, you know, and, and that's one thing that I, I've shared a lot with uh, many creatives, very, very talented creatives. You can be a fantastic creative and stay back at the shop and do great work. And p- trust me, there are plenty of people who will gladly go take credit for the work you're doing. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that there's no, Which shortage. Not the, that's the truth. Yeah. There is no shortage of people who will go take credit for your great work. But if you, you know, oftentimes the best way to 
proceed and progress in your career is to be a fantastic presenter. It's to mm-hmm. learn the language of presentation. It's to learn the language of a client meeting and how you read the room and feel the energy. And, uh, you know, that, that is a, it's, it's something that's learned. No one's born with that skill. Uh, but many, many times, especially a lot of really talented creatives who are maybe a little more introverted or a little bit, you know, see the world differently, they feel intimidated by that moment and finding them, getting them to get past that and and just kind of jump in and feel their way through it's another skill for them to learn and it's incredibly important uh for them to learn it to be able to be in front of those clients and 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 now you're a dual threat right yeah you can come up with great work but also we can go in the client meeting and you can sell it and you know and i've always believed that the creatives in the creative department you know and of course i'm biased right i'm a creative director but i believe that the smartest people in an agency reside in the creative department i think that they they are extremely smart, especially, Mark, when you look at a lot of the work that, that we had done in the past in these highly regulated industries, uh, you know, uh, it's a lot of science to understand. There's a lot of background to get up to speed on very, very quickly. And you're jumping from, you know, project to project, having to get up to speed on different things. So I think that there is a there's an innate desire or need to be curious and a quick learner and a quick study and now translate into that to a business solution through creativity. And that's a skill set in its own. Now, when you can go in and now present your own work, uh, you know, that's incredibly beneficial, not only to the agency, but long-term career health and and aspirations for that person. Because now they're the ones getting credit for that work. And I think Mm -hmm. it's really important for people not to overestimate the importance of learning to present and be comfortable in a client meeting. Yeah, that's really good. So as we think about the world of creativity, you know, we think about the breadth of the applications of creativity and, you know, the the kind of uh, accounts and business problems, whether it's, you know, in medical, like medical devices or pharma brands. But but you go on into banking, uh, quick service restaurants, uh, you know, all manner of consumer products, uh, uh, food products and so forth. What, what's been your experience as to the thread or the essence of the creative thinking or, you know, that goes through all of those kinds of, of business situations? Uh, that's a great question. And I think it's one that a lot of people, you know, they struggle with because, Think about it. When when clients are out there looking for agencies, the first thing they do is they send out an RFP and they're looking for an agency that has experience in their in their in their vertical in their category. And oftentimes, when agencies are looking to hire creatives or account folks or other folks to service in this client, they're looking for people with experience in that vertical in that space. So you know, the first thing oftentimes clients will do they send out an RFP and they're looking for agencies with experience in a particular vertical, experience in a particular category. Uh, and then when those agencies go to hire folks to service that business. They're looking for creatives with experience in that space and account folks with experience in that space. And it's not to discount the the value of that. There's a lot of value in that. Uh, But that, you know, to get to your question, you know, there's a lot, you know, creatives in particular, you know, they're in this industry and they're in this business because they're here to, they want to solve problems. And I think really that thread no matter whether you're working in pharma, biotech, financial services, whether you're in consumer packaged goods, selling fizzy drinks, cruise ships, you know, it doesn't, you know, I, I, I think about the, the, all of the different spaces I've worked in my career. Um, the, the, the common thread is you're solving business problems through creativity. And the people who are drawn to this industry like solving problems. And, as long as you, again, are approaching each of these projects with that in mind, 
uh, then then you're going to find success. Is there? Does that mean there's you know there's going to be learnings in every new space, every new vertical you enter into? Uh, but again, be cur- being curious by nature helps a lot for creatives to get up to speed on these things. Uh, mm-hmm. But they, at, their, at the root of things, they need to understand their job is to solve business problems through creativity. And if they can do that, they can succeed in any any category. It, yeah, it sounds like what you're saying is that if if the person has the the I guess like I said the curiosity and the skill set, they can adapt and they can learn because all that you know knowing about a category or a vertical is is a learning thing, right? And then you apply sure. your natural innate. That's that's really interesting. And, and for you, Kevin, then do you do you feel like you have a go to uh, tool or method or process? You know, in in your uh, quiver, they, if somebody throws a business problem on, on your lap. You say this is the first thing I'm going to do, and then this is the second. How do how do you approach it? Um, that's a good question. I think you know, I probably do have you know, I certainly have processes that I have generated. You know, one for for agency for the agency itself, right? We have a creative process we undergo, no matter what the what the client is. Uh, but I think that your your bigger question probably is, what's my personal process, right? What's that yeah, first thing yeah, that goes through my mind? And, yes. and, and, and I think that's a lot more interesting because, uh, you know, every agency has a process, right? Or at least they'll trot one out on some PowerPoint slides and a pitch. But that, getting, <laughs> that, getting down to that, like, what's that first thing that goes through your mind as a creative? That's a really interesting thought. And I think, you know, I... That's where I really think you start to see the, the differences in different creatives. And, you know, when you, when you have a creative who may come from more of a copywriting background, they might be going to words and prose and they might want to write out a story. You have an art director or a designer background creative and they might want to go to telling that story visually and you know, through graphics. And, you know, you have some folks who want to jump to a solution and go very tactical. Uh, I think I, you know, I, I, in my career, I've been both an art, art director and a copywriter. And I think that served, has served me very, very well. Um, but I think the first thing, the first word, place I go is I go very logical. I go very strategic, uh, you know, and I, I think that I, I start to, if I don't have a creative brief in front of me initially that is giving me a problem to solve, I first create one. And you know what, this is actually, now that I'm talking this through, you know, I think that this is a lot of times where you start to run into the quote, cantankerous creatives, right? Let me, let me uh, just kind of share a, share a scenario with you, right? We have a creative kickoff. Uh, there's a creative brief shared. This creative brief probably went through multiple rounds of revisions, had to get approved through the leadership of the agency, let alone the client, to where then they had to make their changes and add their mandatories. And 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 by the time, oftentimes, that creative brief gets to a point where it's kicked off with a group of creatives, you know, there's not much edge on it anymore. A lot mm-hmm. of times, that's unfortunately what happens. They try to cram too much in. There's not a singular point of view. And quite, quite frankly, they solve the problem in the brief. And when there's a brief that's unveiled in a in a in a in a in a creative kickoff, and there's no clear problem to solve, that's when you start to get the quote cantankerous creatives because they're going to start poking holes in it. They're going to start saying what if. They're going to start saying yeah, but, and they're going to say whoever wrote this brief doesn't know what they're doing. And <laughs> you know what? Those are oftentimes the creatives I want on the business because what they're doing, they're not trying to be jerks. They're trying to find a problem to solve. And if there's not one that's clearly outlined on the brief, you can damn well be sure they'll create one. 
<laughs> and again, that's those are the creatives you want on that business. And so I think that that's probably the first thing I do is make sure that there is a clear problem to solve. And if there isn't, uh, I'm going to create one. And I'm going to create a problem that's in line with the strategy. But I really think that that's the first thing I do before I start thinking about solutions or tactics or anything else uh, is just, again, really defining what is the problem we're solving and who are we solving it for. And you can spend a lot of time thinking that through and cutting, slicing and dicing that in, in many different ways. And I think once you have a very clearly defined problem, the solutions, they come a lot easier. Uh, because if you, you can blue sky it all day long, but without, without some guardrails, without a clear problem to solve, you're, you're spending a lot of time on possibly great ideas that are gone, not going to go anywhere. So why, why spend that energy there? Let's, uh, you know, let's be a little bit more, uh, you know, restrained early on to get, to get, to get the, you know, get the guardrails in place. You know, it's like Robert Frost quote, right? He said, you know, free verse, he was talking about poetry and he said, free verse is like playing tennis without a net. Right, like you can, okay, I can knock that ball back and forth all day long, but that's right. No that would net. be my kind of tennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You know, <laughs> what's the challenge in it? You know, and that, guess what? There's not just a net. There's also out of bounds. Right. So, the, that box that adds to the excitement of the game. Right. Without that moment of that out of bounds line, you know, uh, we're watching Wimbledon and we're watching the super slow mo of that ball hitting on the outside of that line. Is it in or is it out? Right. We would not have that dramatic moment that in in the game. Uh, and that's, again, that's what it comes down to, that tension. We're trying to find tension in our strategy. We're trying to create tension in our creative execution, you know, because without tension, there's no momentum. And what we're really trying to do is create momentum, right? We're trying to create business change. We're trying to create behavior change. And in order to create change, you need tension to do that. And oftentimes, many briefs strip out that tension up front. So it's very, very important. The first thing to do is, is, is rediscover the tension and put it in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very good. Wow. So if I, we could turn the page now a little bit to the personal side, how you keep your own creative fires burning, your brain synapses firing. I got to say, one of the reasons I love uh, following you on Instagram is that one moment you can be at a concert or at a kid's <laughs> museum or at a library or, you know, uh, your, your various travels. Um, but, but where do you go for your, your own inspiration to keep things fresh? Well, you just you just nailed a lot of them, right? I think <laughs> I'll go back I, and hear what I said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, uh, I think you know, music, uh, live music in particular, you know, is a great source of inspiration. Museums. Uh, uh, my my wife and I both we are just museum junkies. We got married at the museum here in Columbus. You know, that's oh, wow. that's to, awesome. to, to the to the uh, extent that our love of arts and culture. Um, you know, really permeate our relationship. And, you know, it's one thing that it's been a, a, a centering point on, on our agency as well, you know, uh, community progress and, in, in, you know, in, in advancing the art scene uh, and, and in Columbus, oftentimes in maybe underserved neighborhoods. Um, there's a lot of, of great activities and great initiatives that we've been fortunate enough to be a part of uh, to, to be able to do that. And that's really because we do believe that that arts portion is so critical to to forming young minds and, and, and solving problems in this world, you know, that, you know, increasingly is going to rely on creativity. You know, if you look again at uh, I'm getting a little bit sidetracked here, but if you look again at the, you know, uh, the future of the work landscape with AI coming into the fold, you know, and, and, and robotics and, and the, the jobs that are going to be at risk. Um, the thing that's toughest for AI to duplicate is creativity. 
Uh, and it's because it's mm. really messy. <laughs> it's a really messy proposition. Uh, mm. You know, and then my goal, you know, in my creative teams and when I work is try to harness that messiness and that creativity and, and, and streamline it and, and put it on the right path so you can harness that creative chaotic energy towards an end goal. But you know what? AI and robotics and computers have a difficult time being messy. So I, I really believe the future uh, for our, uh, you know, working class and our, 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 our problem solvers in the future and our creatives of the future, I think is very bright. Uh, I think as long as we can achieve, uh, you know, solve problems through, through, through creativity. So I think the arts programs are really important to do. It's unfortunate that oftentimes arts and music are many of the first things that get cut when there's budget issues. And, you know, I think that it's just important to spend our energy and, and our time there and understand the benefit both in the long term for the health of our people and our, our young people, but also economically. I, I read a study recently and I can't remember where it was. I wish I could uh, for your podcast, but it talked about the economic impact of the arts and how many billions of dollars the arts brings into the economy uh, of the United mm -hmm. States. And fantastic article. Uh, but just really reframes how you look at that. And when you look at, you know, from even an urban development perspective, you know, when there's, there's you know, moments where there may be some, some sketchy areas where retail doesn't want to go, you know, where people aren't traveling anymore, who goes there? The artists go there. I mean, what do they, what do, they do? They, they make it cool. <laughs> and once mm -hmm. the artists make it cool and then then the capitalists come in and the artists get pushed out and they have to go make somewhere else cool but now they've re they, they've been a, a spark to that growth and that's just a small example of, of the the hidden value of creativity and the hidden value of creativity no, that's so great. I, I heard a uh, developer talk about following the hipsters you know it's like uh, <laughs> wherever yeah, they are that's where that's it's going trend, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly it's absolutely you know, I, I wanted to drill down on and what you were talking about uh, you know the, the arts but the culture and the, the you know in columbus uh, you know, we've been fortunate in this podcast series to talk to, well, a couple of people, for example, in Paris and Madrid. I mean, these are cities you think about, about history and art and so forth. But then also Austin, you know, obviously has a, a amazing music scene. Um, Delhi in India, you know, the, the colors and the uh, spices and the flavors and the, you know, you can just hear it and feel it. Uh, but I think about, well, we live in Boise, Idaho, for, for goodness sake. Uh, not not a arts mecca, but you know the outdoors and the mountains are kind of our inspiration. But I, but I think about Columbus and what you're saying. What what role does that community creativity uh, play in you know raising up the whole creative energy of the city? Whether you're in the creative field or you know manufacturing or business or yeah. anything else, what I, what yeah. role do you feel that plays? Well, I think I think it plays a huge role, and I think that in Columbus, in particular, we are really fortunate uh, to have a thriving art scene and music scene, um, and a lot of a lot of folks who are helping to support that. You know, like you you're not going to have a thriving music scene if people aren't going to see shows, right? And you aren't going to have a thriving art scene if people aren't seeing and buying original art. And and we're fortunate that we have that happening here. Uh, we have a lot, you know, the, just the energy alone of the city uh, is fantastic. There's a very young entrepreneurial spirit uh, that permeates Columbus. Uh, you know, a lot of people know Columbus as, you know, test market USA, right? So yes. for many, many years, uh, you know, products would come here to be test marketed because it was such because a it's so normal. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, so in, average, in, right. in many, in many ways, I'm pretty, I'm proud to say that we're losing our grip on that. 
because you know I think we're we're we're, beco- we're we're becoming less average, and you know I think that a big a big spark of that really comes from the creative community. When you look at the the, the educational institutions here, obviously you can't forget about Ohio State. You know, being a big anchor here, a lot of young folks coming in. You know, one of the largest you know universities in the world, right? And the, and people coming in from all around the world to attend that school, and they get unleashed into the workplace here. You know, they stay and they create businesses and they in, in, they inject their culture from you know wherever they came from and so there's a really fantastic energy that comes with that and then we again we have the arts we have folks who are patrons of the arts we have a client uh actually the johnstone fund uh the johnstone fund for new music uh is a client of ours who they actually fund the creation of brand new classical music pieces now when you think back to you know <laughs> you know to to mozart you know to the, the the salieri days of you know where people are commissioning you know these great masters to create the music now that we just think well that's what you hear on the classical music station right well someone commissioned that work and and so for, for so long, we've been hearing the same classical music. Well, the Johnstone Fund's very singular purpose is to create new classical music. And it's new music. It's a new style. It's a new approach. And some of it's actually very challenging to hear and understand. Uh, and then some of it is, is a little bit more in the, the basic classical genre. But what you, what you get, if you go to the, one of these performances, you get inspired because you're hearing something you've never heard before. And, and again, that comes from patrons, right? That doesn't happen just getting. And so what they're able to do is they bring in composers and musicians from all around the world. Many from many of them happen to come from Brooklyn, uh, but they have Columbus ties. So they come back and they, they create this amazing work. You know, that's just an, a, an example that a lot of people don't even know about that's happening that, that increases, you know, that creative energy of the space. You know, when I talk about. Uh, the creative energy that's happening downtown in our Franklin, Franklinton area, which was an area, it used to be called the Bottoms, right? It was an area that no one would go to, but now there's this creative resurgence happening there. We have creative studios, design studios, we have welding studios, we have, you know, imagine every uh, every uh, you know creative outlet is happening down in that space, uh, and it's amazing the energy it's providing, and and and, and the the revenue it's bringing in, and the the, the opportunities for the creative class uh, in that downtown area, you know, and, and when, again, look at all these moments where you can do it, right? I, one thing that's great about Columbus, uh, this is something that, you know, my wife, uh, Alex, uh, who is, is also a partner in our, our agency, she, she's always been very, very involved in, in community. Uh, she's always given back. She's always been involved. And when we lived in Toronto, it was no different. She jumped in and she wanted to be a part of the theater and art scene and music scene and jump in and help out with, with, with things. And she did, she did that, but she, she also found it's a lot harder. You know, that's a gigantic city with an established, you know, kind of hierarchy, if you will. You know, when you, when you're in a space like Columbus, as much as it's a thriving arts community, if you want to get in and be involved, you can and you can jump in and make a difference, you know. And a great example of that is, you know, we had we used to live in the Victorian Village area, which is an urban space. In short, it's called the Short North uh, in, in Columbus. It's a it's a very artsy, lots of art galleries and uh, restaurants and, and retailers. It's pretty, you know, in, right near our downtown area. Um, they had in the park. We have a beautiful park called Goodale Park, and for many many years there was uh, jazz in the park on Sundays, and. This is an exa- another moment where you know what budgets weren't looking good, the the sponsorships didn't happen any long, so and, you know so there was no longer jazz in the park on Sundays, and it, it was such a magical thing to see every Sunday, just people out on blankets listening to live jazz, and 
Alex, being a huge music lover and community advocate, said, well, we can't let the music stop. And so she created the Goodale Park Music Series. And she did that on her own without any sponsorships and foundations, but she pulled together business resources and networking that she had done to, to make this happen. And, uh, and it's still going strong. It's been, it's been going on for over 10 years now. And it's, it's a part of the fabric of the community. And it's something that people look to it for every sun in, in the sun, summer on Sundays. And mm-hmm. it's exciting to see how, again, that brings people together. And, you know, not just music, but now there's food trucks that come involved and people with crafts. And, you know, it's just it, it's a good, again, that creative energy that that the arts can create and the sense of community that the arts can create, the sense of belonging. Uh, it's that it's the a arts fantastic story. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting to connect the dots to what you were saying before about, you know, a creative person's ability to both, you know, come up with ideas and be inspired, but also then present the idea, sell the idea. Uh, you think about, you know, Mozart, you think about Monet, Michelangelo, you know, had to sell the idea to get the money, right? Mm-hmm, uh, right. Somebody's got to pay for the paint that's going to go yeah. on the mm-hmm. chapel. Uh, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And for my time, yeah. you know. Because it's all, I, I also wanted to see Mozart's timesheet. You know, how long did it take him to do that? <laughs> oh, um, oh, my goodness. Yeah. I just but got, I mean, I just you know, it, there, Mark. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea that, you know, you, you do have to appreciate uh, the word you use, patron. You know, it's not just a funder. It's not mm-hmm. just a client, you know, who paid for something. But a patron sounds so much more like a creative supporter and a, you know, mm-hmm. that it's, it's, they're infusing some of their energy. Mm-hmm. They not, they may not be able to write the music or compose the music or mm-hmm. perform the music, but they love it and they're inspired by it. So therefore they'll, you know, put their energy and mm-hmm. uh, support behind it. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what a terrific conversation. We really appreciate your time, Kevin. I, as we close, I, I guess if you could summarize, um, you know, the source of this creative thinking. And how you see things, uh, you know, changing going forward. You know, how can we all be more creative? How can we support each other uh, across borders? You know, this world of creativity idea. How, how do we see the world being more open to creative ideas? Uh, what, what's your vision going forward? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, in order to create things, you need to, cons- you know, in order start over i think first and foremost in order to be creative you need to consume creative right Mm -hmm. so i think you need to you need to read (laughs) right read novels read graphic novels comic books i don't care what you know what is your thing but gets get the get the input in whether it comes through reading or it comes through music you know live music which is a very different thing to listening to music on a cd or on you know you know on you know, a, a vinyl, you know, that mm-hmm. the experience of artists creating something live in front of you. There's a different energy there. But again, in order to create it, you need to consume it. So get out there, go to the museum, give the inspiration, you know, watch the great films that, you know, they might be black and white. That's okay. There's learning to be had there. And, and I think that we all have seen over time that, you know, great creatives, whether they be musicians, whether they be film directors, whether they be writers, they were inspired by those who came before them. You know, they did not uh, just come drop out of the womb into the world and they were, you know, instant masters. They, they, they worked on their craft and they consumed creative. So they had the fuel to now 
create juxtapositions, right? To, to create something that's so a, a bit of inspiration from a movie they saw 30 years ago and combine that with a song they heard just last week and with an idea they had in the shower. And now you have a brand new thing. Right. But they didn't come up with this brand new entity all on their own, fully baked. It was fueled by the creative they were consuming. And, uh, and I, I do think that at the end of the day, that that's the that's where the creative creativity, you know, a lot of that creativity comes from is from consuming other great creative. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks. For, thanks for the, those thoughts. Yeah. All right. Well, so, uh, Kevin, we want to thank you uh, for joining us. And before we wrap up, we'd love to ask our guests, uh, do you have a favorite book you've read that's, uh, you know, fueled your own journey or a podcast you're listening to or current or in the past, something you can share a resource with the, with the listeners? Hmm. Boy, that's a, that's a great question. You know, so there's, <laughs> there's several uh, resources and I bounce around. I'm always trying to, you know, kind of take in what I can when I can. I think, uh, Luke Sullivan, I really love to follow him, his exploits. Uh, you know, as we all know, Luke Sullivan from the, the great book, Hey Whipple, Squeeze This. Um, you know, I, I still like to follow his blog and, and see what he's got going on. Uh, there's, you know, what I like to really kind of bounce around. There's there's several creative blogs I'll listen to and watch. Uh, but, you know, where I find, I find that those are great, right? You know, as a, as a creative in this industry, I like to hear what else is other other creatives are doing in this industry and you can't you can't uh devalue its importance uh, again that's another bit of that fuel right that consuming mm-hmm. but um i also think it's important to go outside of your industry right and outside of what business you're in and find inspiration there as well you know that's why i think it's just as important you know to be reading you know you might want to be, you might be reading a book today on digital marketing analytics right but hopefully Next week, you're reading uh, a great fiction novel by some author who's writing their first book ever, right? Because it speaks to you in a new way. And and I really think that it's that balance of of inspiration from within your industry and outside your industry, which is where those real new, fresh ideas come. Uh, I think it's always great to 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 get inspired and 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 either be uh, you know kind of. Yep, I'm on the right track because this person I respect is doing the same thing I'm doing. Or, oh, they're making me think about something differently. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think the breakthrough ideas, right, the the moonshot ideas, those ideas that are taking people by surprise are ideas that are, again, maybe it's a little bit of an idea that I grabbed from your podcast, Mark. And then I'm going to merge that with an idea from, you know, this novel I'm reading or this song I heard made me think about something differently. So maybe that's maybe that's a little uh, esoteric, but I really believe that that's where, you know, for me, that's where that's that's where my creativity comes from. It's that it's really that combination of 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 sources and, and putting together in new ways. Yeah, we definitely appreciate that. You know, that's very helpful to hear. Well, thank you again, Kevin. We appreciate having you on and and share your process and your work. We appreciate it. Well, thank you guys very much. Wow, what a great interview that was. You know, Mark, Kevin Fox shared a lot of goodness with us in that episode, didn't he? Well, I did. And, you know, now we, we recorded that. We were lucky enough to talk with him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, now that we have a chance to reflect on some of the ideas that he shared. And plus, uh, you know, what really comes across is a, is a passionate, creative individual. And, um, you know, it, 
He's not one of those loud, boisterous, you know, hand-waving kind of creative people, but rather, you know, one that where the river runs deep. You know, he's got a lot of uh, uh, passion behind the, the ideas. And, um, you know, and, and I loved a couple of the points he made. I mean, one was that we've heard from other guests, too, but this idea that creativity is, is facilitated when you're really focused on a, solving a business problem. And then if you, yeah. you know, get the definition of the problem right, um, and the, you know, he, in his world, the creative brief, you know, get that right, and it really helps zero in on, on some of the creative solutions. Yeah, I, I agree. And that, that seems to be a common theme that a lot of our creatives have talked about, knowing what the outcome they want is and the solution they're looking for before they even start. Yeah, and particularly, you know, as a quote or a soundbite or a takeaway, uh, this idea that this direction or this brief is not meant to be handcuffs. You know, there might be guardrails uh, yeah. and guidance, but it's certainly not something that handcuffs your creative thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he brought up a lot of interesting ideas. I was really fascinated when he was talking about the research that has been done on how much of an economic impact, positive economic impact, the creatives have, whether they're artists or whether they're coming in and revitalizing uh, downtrodden neighborhoods and bringing, you know, economic prosperity and cool restaurants and events and things like that, that then get kind of folded into the general economic environment of a city. I think people don't think of that and don't see that. It was fascinating. Yeah, I think, you know, what he was talking about is building these economies around a real creative culture mm -hmm. and uh, community building. In fact, uh, the story you told about the nonprofit that, you know, reaches out and tries to explore and identify young up and coming musicians, particularly classical uh, musicians, um, is an example of how this mm -hmm. creative community gets built, where, where the... Uh, you know, it's almost like in the in the days of uh, Michelangelo and others, you, know, you get the patrons of the arts, and that's what these people are creating in, in modern times. Yeah, I definitely got that sense. You know, he, he definitely, you know, has his uh, finger on the pulse of what's happening there and, and then translating that into, you know, making the economy stronger in these cities. It was really interesting talking with him. Yeah. And there'll be some great reading uh, in the show notes, you know, find those links, uh, yeah. look into this more. So, you know, as an active listener to our podcast, I'm yeah. sure folks will want to go and, and d dig into those more. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'll include those in the show notes. And, you know, like, like we've mentioned before, the, the interview is kind of just the, the, the starting point. And then there's so much that they're sharing with us that folks can travel down and research more on their own, which, which I think is great in the form of, you know, books or different podcasts or what's inspiring them. That's what's been another awesome experience here, having these folks share the, the resources they use, you know, so we can put, fold them into our bag of tools. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you're talking about, this thread that goes through all the podcasts, you know, if you haven't had a chance, uh, folks, to go back and listen to the other interviews that we've conducted, uh, I think our first one was Sherry Talley, you know, go back to the beginning and, and hear this thread of, uh, you know, creative problem solving. Um, and, that, and I think that's really helps inspire me. Yeah, definitely. That, that's a great suggestion, Mark. All right. Uh, any last uh, words, closing thoughts on Kevin's interview? No, it's terrific. And, uh, you know, Kevin's a great guy. And again, I, I love the fact that he really holds 
creativity uh, in a high place. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's something we can all aspire to. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Until next time, all the best, health, wealth, and success. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Enhancing the Human Experience, A World of Creativity with Mark Phillips. If you liked this episode and want to know more, check out gmarkphillips.com and please leave us a review on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.